0: We're in 2 Samuel chapter 22. If you'll open your Bibles there and we are going to continue. 2 Samuel 22. So 2 Samuel chapter 22 is kind of turned into a mini-series. It's a a series within a series. We we titled this, Can I Get a Witness? And it's just a, a worshipful prayer on David's part. And what we've seen is that these last four chapters of 2 Samuel... Um, they're not chronological, um, rather they serve to highlight various events in the life and ministry of David. And here what the focus is on is uh, David's worshipful witness. And what we're seeing is that uh, David, he's testifying of God's faithfulness to him. Um, and um, we've seen uh, as we've gone through this, first of all, that Dave's David's testimony, Dave. I'm we're we're tight, me and Dave. Um, <laughs> David's testimony was experiential. It was experiential. In other words, it, it wasn't his faith wasn't it wasn't uh, theoretical, but it was it was something that he experienced. It was something that he put feet on. And so David, in this in this worshipful prayer, he says, "The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my deliverer. The God of my strength." My shield, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior, over and over again, this emphatic, he is my deliverer. And what we saw is that in this experiential thing, I mean, so often we as Christians, we go through our faith and we go through times of struggle and, and in the midst of it, we're like, what's up, God? I mean, what did I ever do to you? And what we saw was that in order to have a testimony, you have to have a test and you have to have a money, okay? And God takes us through those times of testing and trial. And so David was himself experiencing this as he lived out his faith. He, he couldn't cry out, the Lord is my rock until he himself needed God to be his rock. My deliverer until he needed God to be his deliverer. And so his testimony was experiential. We saw also that David's testimony was relational. Part of this prayer, this song of praise, he says, God heard my voice in his temple and my cries entered his ears. This is the great truth of the Christian faith is that you and I can know God intimately, personally. That right now, today, the creator of the universe, who the Bible says holds the molecules of your body together, In him, God holds everything together. Scientists trying to figure out what is this, you know, the laws of physics, everything should just blow apart. And why doesn't it? What holds it together? We know the answer to that. His name is Jesus Christ. And he holds the molecules of your body together. I mean, you take a walk with that. You think about the Roman soldier nailing Jesus to the cross. And the, his, I mean, he could have just, Jesus could have just said, you know what, I'm holding everything together, but I'm not gonna hold you together anymore. Boof, you know, this guy would, but no, the breath that this guy, that the soldier would have, the muscles and the, and, the, and the synapses working in his brain and Jesus held all that together even while he crucified him, nailed him to that cross. And so our relationship with God is just that. It, it, it's this relational, And David could cry out, God hears my voice. It enters into his ear. God hears your voice. It enters into his ears. Well, David's testimony was also powerful. It was powerful. And and Paul prayed this, or wrote this rather, to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. He said, For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this was David's experience. David's experience was that God delivered him and God delighted in him. And just as Paul would testify to the Romans uh, that <clears throat> God uh, was, did this, you know, he, he, he protects us powerfully. And, and he does so, the motive is his love, and this is what David experienced. He said, the Lord delighted in me. And we saw that that phrase delighted, that word delighted, it means literally to delight in, to be pleased by, to take pleasure in. Listen, God's delighted in you. The trap of the enemy is to get you to the place to where you yield to temptation and you commit sin, and then he begins to condemn you. Now, condemnation does not come from the Lord. It comes from the enemy. It comes from Satan and his demons. And, and, and God will bring conviction when you, when you sin. He'll convict you of your sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin. But he won't bring condemnation. It's the enemy that piles on condemnation. And so David was able to say, No, you know what? God powerfully has delivered me and God delights in me. Listen, God delights in you. We have a Father in heaven who loves us. And maybe some of you need to hear that today. Maybe some of you need to hear that there's a there's a God in heaven who loves you with an incredible love. You see, one of the things we looked at when we began to look at this psalm, and, and there are those that debate this like when did David actually write this? Because as I said, these last four chapters, they're not chronological. But they're just highlighting certain events that took place in David's rule and reign. And so commentators look and they're like, okay, well, when did he write this? And then they read how David is saying, God, you delighted in me. And and they say, well, clearly he wrote that before he committed sin with Bathsheba. Clearly he wrote that before he murdered her husband Uriah the Hittite to, to try and get away with his sin. And the fact is, we really don't know when he wrote it, but we know that this psalm appears in different sections in the Bible and it indicates that he sang it at different times during his reign and understanding God's grace and his mercy and his his forgiveness. And the fact that he delights in you, it seems almost certain that David sang this after that happened with Bathsheba. Certainly he could have written it before and sang it before, but he also sang it after. How is that possible? Well, Because he confessed his sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, some of you need to hear that today. And it's not a get out of jail free card and just sort of wink at your sin, sweep it under the rug, Doug, and just like give you a, no, God, you know, we need to mourn over our sin. We need to repent of our sin. And that's precisely what David did. He repented of his sin. He, Nathan, the prophet, came, showed up to David. He's like, dude, you're the man. You, you, you've, not you're the man. You're the man who's, who's sinned against God. And David's response wasn't to make excuses. It wasn't to sweep it under the rug. It was to say, I've sinned against you, Lord. I confess. And Nathan's response to him was, you know what? The Lord has also put away your sin. He's not gonna kill you, David. And And, and some of you here today, you need to know that God... He loves you with an unending love, and in Christ Jesus, he's forgiven you. And so David's testimony was experiential, it was relational, and it was powerful. And as we continue today, not only does David praise God for his work of deliverance, and not only does he praise God for the motive of his deliverance, but as we're going to see now, he's praising God for his method of deliverance. And if you're taking notes, you can write down the first point, which is this, God enlightened David. Second Samuel chapter 22, verse 29, we continue. He says, for you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. Now, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle that word enlightened. Nearby, you could write this, you could write to illuminate or to make clear. It, it, it's a, it's a hifel verb stem. And what that means is that this is what God does. This isn't David sort of figuring things out and all of a sudden going, oh, I've got this figured out. The lights have come on and now I see. David, he, he didn't have anything to do with this. This is God and God alone showing up and turning on the lights and enlightening David. He says, you are my lamp, O Lord. You, the Lord, shall enlighten my darkness. And here's the idea. The idea is that when God met David's need, he first brought light. He first brought light. And what you need to understand is that before you and I can experience the life of Christ, we first need the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus said this in John's gospel. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk In darkness, but have the light of life. And what Jesus implies here, and the Bible reiterates, is that we live, you and I, in a fallen world that walks in darkness. The writer of Proverbs said, The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, they do not know what makes them stumble. Several years ago, I, I was laying in bed and uh, all of a sudden heard a noise downstairs. And so I jumped up out of my bed and went racing down the hall. I was going to run downstairs. And, uh, and so there I am. And, and, and all of a sudden, I run into something in the hallway. Well, what I'd forgotten was that we, we had this big, and we, I got rid of it since then, but we had this big uh, sort of futon thing. It was like a a wooden, you know, it it was like a little couch thing, but it had these heavy wooden sides that would fold down, and the thing would actually fold down in a bed. And for some reason, some knucklehead had put it in the hallway, and and left it right there in the middle of the hallway. So I'm running now in my chonies in the middle of the night to go see, and I run into this thing. Well, the 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 you know the the momentum when I hit this thing that it was designed to collapse. And so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm high-centered on it, like, you know, Superman kind of thing. And it goes all the way over and just knocks the wind out of me. I'm oh, you know, Brenda is, yeah, I don't know what she's doing, searching for the gun or something. Like, you know, don't shoot me. But I just cleaned my own clock. I, just, I thought I'd broken ribs. It was horrible. Oh, you know, it was horrible. It was, if it wasn't so funny. But it's a picture of the world. It's a picture of the world because here's what happens is that the lost are running down the hallway of life and they don't know what makes them stumble and all of a sudden they're stumbling into STDs and and unwanted pregnancies and they're stumbling into addictions and broken relationships and failed dreams and being backstabbed and being betrayed and and all of these, these things and they don't know what makes them stumble. And, and what happens is because they're blind and because they're in the dark, not only do they not know what makes them stumble, but they don't, they don't know how to fix it. And so the enemy's right there and he's lying to them and so on. And so, you know, you, you, you got a gal that she, she's just, she's stumbling in the dark. She's maybe sexually promiscuous. Maybe she gets herself pregnant. And now all of a sudden she's thinking, well, what am I going to do? And the enemy's right there again going, hey, you know what? You can get rid of it. And so, so he, he feeds her this bill of goods. That, Look, you know what? Nobody, nobody needs to know. It, it, it's totally private. It's just completely, it's your right to choose and nobody knows and you can just get rid of the, and you'll be done. You'll be over with it. You'll be done. And what that woman doesn't know because she's in the dark is that she'll never be over it. She'll never be done with it. That'll be something she'll carry for the rest of her life. And you know, here's the deal. This isn't, it's not just that unbelievers have the corner of this market, the corner on this market. You, as followers of Jesus Christ, I mean, the enemy can trip us up to where all of a sudden we're stumbling in the dark. And we're doing it. In fact, maybe some of you here today, you're burdened down, you're weighed down with guilt and shame because of decisions that you've made. But see, the issue for us is to understand that as believers like David, we have a testimony of praise. And we can say, you know what? God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. And he can hear from heaven and he can give us light. And he can give us life. And he can give us forgiveness. And some of you, you need that today. Some of you, you need God's peace. You need his forgiveness. And that's available for you today in Christ Jesus. What Satan is intended for evil, God can work together for good. And he can bring you freedom today. The psalmist said this. He said, let the redeemed of the Lord Tell their story. Hey, there's a witness to tell. Believers, can I get an amen? We have a witness. And here's the witness. The witness is those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. How many of you were prisoners suffering in iron chains before Jesus Christ got a hold of your life? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Some of you need to do that today. You need to cry out to the Lord. Some of you come in here burdened. Some of you come in here with guilt and shame and, and, and living in the darkness. And you're, you're saying, I, I, I want to be in the light. I want to have someone turn on the light. Well, this is what the psalmist says is that the redeemed of the Lord, as they tell their story, that they've been redeemed from the hand of the foe, Having sat in darkness, utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and he broke away their chains. And God wanted, wants to break away your chains today. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian church, he said this, he says, For you were once darkness, but to now your light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness." but rather expose them, for it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, if you're like me, you know how you you read a book and your mind finishes sentences as you're reading it? And that can be problematic if you're reading out loud. Be, you're reading, all of a sudden you finish the sentence, but then you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's not how it reads. It's a different word. Uh, and, and, and so when I read this, you know, Ephesians chapter 5, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. What, I, what my mind wants to do is finish the sentence and say, Christ will give you life. But it doesn't read that way. It says that Christ will give you light. Now, both are true. Christ will give you life. But what the Bible is telling us here is that, hey, Christ is going to give you life. And the idea that Paul is conveying here is that there's many people who are sleepwalking through life. When I was a kid, before I had surrendered my life to the Lord, I was raised to know the Lord. But I went through a season where I just decidedly was not walking with God. I was not bearing fruit in my life. As a matter of fact, I was up in the High Sierras partying with my, with my friends, and, and we were all just drinking, and I was, I was beyond drunk, and I blacked out, and, um, and all of a sudden, I woke up, and, you know, I woke up, and there I am, and we're in the High Sierras, we're, we're, we're in the deep woods, and I'm, I'm in deep trouble, because I wake up, and I'm walking in, it's something about me and my chonies, but I'm walking in my chonies, <laughs> <laughs> You're like ah. There's a reason you study your Bible at home, isn't there, Pastor Ted? Yeah, they won't they won't, they won't tolerate that at the office. No, I, I was out. I'm I am in my underwear in the woods, and I wake up and I have no idea where I'm at. All I know is it's freezing cold, and and you know there I am. Well, obviously, I, I, I'd gotten out of my tent and went out to relieve myself, and now I, I don't know the way back. So I cried out to God. I'm like, help me, God, because I'm, I'm dead. And I could have gone in any direction, in any direction but one direction. Any other direction would have taken me just to my death. And I, stu- I just started walking, and I stumbled into my tent. And I, I wish I could tell you that was, you know, my come to Jesus moment. and I surrendered, but no, I'm, I'm a little thick. The Italians say, stinod. St- I'm, st- I'm a little thick. And uh, it took me a little while. But, but, it, but here's the thing is that God, man, so good to me. And so, man, this is what Paul is saying. Hey, there's a lot of people sleepwalking through life. M- maybe that describes you. Maybe you would say, gosh, I, I've, I've been sleepwalking. I mean, it's problematic. I mean, if you Google it, you know, sleepwalking kills people every year. There's a story in the UK. Some woman found herself on top of a 100-foot crane sleepwalking. What exactly does it mean that Christ will give you light? What does that mean? Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You know, the best illustration I can come up with this and, and, and I, I, I've used it for you before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but it just so perfectly describes this. So, so here's, here's the illustration. Guys, you come home from work and you got your, your construction boots on and they're all muddy or whatever and you walk in the door, hey baby, I'm home. And all of a sudden you hear your wife from the kitchen call out, hey, hey, take, don't walk, don't traipse your muddy boots in here, I'm mopping the floor. And you look down and you realize you're standing on a pristine floor that maybe even still wet a little bit. Now, your wife just gave you light, okay? You walked in in darkness in your muddy boots, but she just gave you light. Hey, I'm mopping the floor. Now, at this point, you have a choice. You can either walk in the light that your wife has given to you, or you can continue to walk in darkness, so let's carry the illustration out a little bit further. Let's say you decide that you're gonna to continue to walk in darkness. Are you going to be having fellowship with the missus anytime soon, yes or no? No, you ain't having fellowship with the misses. missus. Why? Because she gave you light, but you chose instead to walk in darkness. It's the same way with God. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, hey baby, I'm just going to continue to walk in, hey, we lie and we do not practice the truth. And so what David is saying here in our text is that he trusts God to light his path and he's committed now to walk in the light. Let me ask you a question. Are you? Are you committed to walk in the light of Christ? Hey, maybe today you would say, you know, Pastor Ted, that would be great. I would love to walk in the light, but right now it's like my whole life is darkness. I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of you, you came in here today by the skin of your teeth. Some of you, you came to church today just going, where is God in all of this? Where is God in my trial? Because I've never been, it, it has never been darker than it is right this moment in time. So, so how, Pastor Ted, do I, do I walk in the light when, when it's never been darker in my life? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Job chapter 18. It's to your right about eight books. Job chapter 18. Hey, you know it's bad, and Pastor Ted's going to talk to you about your life from Job, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Listen, here's what's going on as you're making your way there. So, so Job, he's a guy that, you know, he's a righteous man. God's bragging on him, saying to, to the enemy, have you considered my servant Job? He's awesome. Loose paraphrase. And um, so God is afflicting Job. He's going through a time of trial, he's going through a season of darkness. And Job has the kind of friends that, that we don't want, but a lot of us have. <laughs> he's got all these, these friends that basically pile on. And they're like, You're a loser, Job. Yeah, you're, you just are. It's, it's because you're a sinner. And, and what we're gonna hear now is the words from his, his friend Bildab, uh, who, I mean, no wonder the guy's such a bummer with a name like that. He's just got a sour outlook on life. But this, this cat Bildab, he, he's piling on, and he's gonna go so far as to su- suggest maybe David isn't even, or maybe Job isn't even saved. So look, we'll pick it up in verse five, chapter 18. Here's what Bildad has to say to Job about his circumstance. And he says, the light of the wicked indeed goes out, And the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in his tent, and his lamp beside him is put out. Hey, you know what, Job? You're wicked, and so you're in darkness. That's what you get, you know? He continues in verse 21. Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not know God. So he goes so far as to suggest, hey, dude, I don't even know if you're saved. So now Job is going to respond to Bildab, chapter 19. We'll pick it up in verse 6. And here's what he says to him. Know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. Verse 8, he has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass. And he has set darkness in my path. Listen, I might be going through some trouble. My life might just be blacker than the inside of a cow right now. But you know what? God did it. Okay? That's, that, that, that's, that, that's, that's what God has sovereignly chosen to do in my life. And sometimes, you know, like Job, God sets darkness in our path. Sometimes, like Job, we go through seasons of darkness, where it's like, where are you, God, and why am I here? And what you have to know is that God is doing things even when it seems dark, even when the, the, the path that you're on seems to, to be dark. Now, let me just clarify here so that, so, so that I tell you what I'm not saying. Because sometimes we go through a season of darkness and it's just because we're stuck on stupid, okay? Sometimes we just reap what we sow, and so if if I'm suffering through the consequences of sin, then, then this isn't, you know, God, you know, prescribing sovereignly to take me through some whatever. No, this is more like Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. And sometimes we take, you know, we've got the... God's got plan A and plan B. You know, plan, B is, plan A is humility, plan B is humiliation. And sometimes we have to go through humility, humiliation because we've, we've chosen to sin against God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about those times when you're searching your, your soul and you're like, you know, have I, do I have any unconfessed sin in my life because I'm going through this, this extreme trial, this extreme hardship. God, why have you allowed this? What is going on? I can't figure it out. Well, listen, here's what Job goes on to say in chapter 19, verse 23. He says, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Job, as it turns out, they are. Uh, it's called the Bible. Uh, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and led forever. Listen, for I know. And the way that's phrased there, you need to understand in the Hebrew, he's saying, I myself know this. I know this like I know anything else. I'm just as sure of this as the day is long. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And here's the get, this next verse. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. Did you catch it? Here's what Job is saying. He says, look, God prescribed this. And he's doing something. And he, he is sovereignly like a, like a surgeon. He's, he's cutting things out of my life. And he's molding me and he's shaping me and he's crafting me and he's building within me a testimony and I'm going through a test testimony right now. But he's doing this work and God prescribed this. And it's not because he doesn't love me and it's not because I'm outside of his will. It's because... God wants me to go through a dark path right now. And maybe the shoe fits for some of you. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know, I got here by the skin of my teeth. So help me. I I don't know any unconfessed sin. But maybe you're dealing with something right now that is just so severe in your life that you're, you're like, what on earth is God doing? Listen, God might have set you in this dark path. But even in seasons of darkness, we have a choice. And Job's choice is to say, I know my Redeemer lives like I know that I live, like i stand in here before you, like I know that, that, that my name is Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. And I will stand, at, he shall stand at last on the earth. And you know what? He's destroying my skin right now. But in my flesh, I'm gonna see God. Notice back in our text, 2 Samuel 22, This is what David does. This is what he says. He says, you're my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. He's faithful. Well, that brings us to the second point today, and that's this, that God miraculously preserved David. God miraculously preserved David. Verse 30, he says, for by you I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Now, let me ask you this. Who here has discovered that your plans don't always go the way you would like them to go? A show of hands, right? You know, we, we come up with the perfect plan. It fits on paper. It's like, this is, my, this is my 12-year plan, God, and it's perfect. And so just sign here on the dotted line. It'll all be cool. And, and God's like, yeah, no, you know, I'll take you over this way, right? Life doesn't always go according to plan. Why? Well, because we face obstacles, and we face op- opposition. And this is what David's talking about here. He, I mean, he, he's like, <laughs> I could, you know, he's got this, this, this opposition. By you, God, I can run against the opposition, this troop. He's got obstacles. By you, God, I can leap over a wall. Now, when he says, by my God, you might want to circle that. Nearby you could write the word Elohim. This is the word that he uses there. Now the word Elohim is the first name for God given in the Bible. Genesis one, one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And and so it's it's the plural form of God. The the, the name El means strong one. And so this is the plural form of the strong one, and it's and it's representing the Trinity, the triune nature of God: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that God is the creator and the sustainer of life. That's the idea. This is speaking of the omnipotence of God, which is a five dollar Christian word, which means all powerful. God is all powerful. He's sovereign. He's creator. He's sustainer. And so you couple that with verse 29 and here's what David is saying. What David is saying is, God, you've given me light and you've revealed yourself to me but even though I face opposition and obstacles and life isn't always the way that, that, I, that I wish that it would be, by you, my God, I can run against opposition. I can leap over obstacles. Why? because I follow you, because I follow your path, because I walk trusting in your perfect way. And so David continues now in verse 31. He says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Now, there's three things I want you to notice in that verse. He says, your way is perfect, your word is proven, And he says, in effect, you are my protector. You're a shield to all who trust in you. And so, first of all, he says, God, your way is perfect. It's not always what I expect, but it's perfect. I remember when um, God called me to plant this church. And uh, most of you know, Brenda and I, we'd planted... Um, Calvary Chapel Menifee, which became Revival Christian Fellowship, and, and it was, I mean, God was doing such a sweet work there, just pouring out his spirit, and I mean, we had like 6,500 people, and it was just, I mean, we started with four people in my living room, and like, you know, God just blew our minds, and, and he just, he does exceedingly abundantly beyond all you can ask or think, and so Brenda and I were like, we're good. I mean, this is, I'll be here for the rest of my life. Thank you. This is awesome. <laughs> but God said, no. I literally left my house one day. and went into the church thinking that I'll be here the rest of my life. I got there, and God spoke to me and said, you're done. Turn in your resignation. I'm like, what? He made it abundantly clear. I'm like, what am I going to do? He didn't make that clear. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was an Abraham call. He just said, look, you know what? Knock, knock. Who's there? Not you anymore. And you need to go. And I'm like, holy moly. So I go home. I'm supposed to catch a flight to Dallas early, early the next morning. So I go home and I tell Brenda, look, God spoke to me and we got to go. And she's like, you're high. What have you been smoking? You know. And uh, no, my wife says, hey, my wagon's hitched to you. And I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus. And and i boring you guys with the story because you, you probably heard before, but, but here's my point. It wasn't the path that I chose, but it was perfect. Now, I didn't realize at the time that, that God was doing a work in me the next 15 months was brutal. Um, you know, God showed me a few months into it that he was calling me to plant this church here and then for, you know, the, for the next 15 months or whatever. I mean, it was brutal. I went to bed every night praying that God would kill me, and I meant it. I'm like, I just, you know, I just want to die. I wasn't suicidal, but I was praying that he was homicidal, that he put, <laughs> that he, <laughs> that he put me out of his misery, or my misery, you know? And, um, and I just thank God, his way is perfect. His way is perfect. I, I think about, we have, you know, several people give their lives to the Lord, you know, first service, and, and God willing, I pray that if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you'll give your life to the Lord today. But every week we 're seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and, and we 're seeing lives changed and marriages healed and I just can 't imagine if if I had gone the way that I wanted to go. listen, his way is perfect, and let me just say this to you today maybe maybe you 're here and life isn 't going the way that you would had prescribed maybe right now you're in you 're thinking this is not the plan maybe you 're dealing with an illness or maybe you 're dealing with you know, uh, a bad, you know, word from your employer. Maybe, maybe you've been laid off this week. One of our members just found that out this week. Oh my gosh, what, what now? Hey, listen, God's way is perfect. And this is what David came to know. God, your way is perfect. He says your way is proven. Psalm 19, your word there's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Listen, God, your word is proven. What, do, what does it mean, you know, the, to taste and see that the Lord is good? You, you, can't, you can't say what something tastes like until you've actually put it in your mouth and chewed on it. And David is saying, you know what? Your word... Is proven. God proves himself to us in his word all the time. I'll give you just two, two simple examples. Matthew 18, Jesus tells us how to handle conflict. Now, he says the way that we're supposed to handle conflict, you know, is you, get, you got to beef with someone, you go to them. Just the two of y'all, and you work it out. Now, our flesh doesn't like that. Why? It's too confrontational. That's too heavy. That's too hard. So what does my flesh want to do? I'll just tell the world on Facebook what y'all did. You know, tweet about it and ruin your reputation because I'm mad at you and I got an ax to grind with you. You know, that's the way our flesh wants to deal with it. But what happens is, is that if we obey God and we go, you know what, this is the harder path, but this is the right path, so God, this is what I'm going to do. Well, then what we see is, guess what? God knows what he's talking about. And and usually, if we just go humbly and try and win our brother, we're trying to win our sister and work it out one-on-one, we can work it out. And I just had one more thing. Gossip is the sin that most Christians don't think they're guilty of that most Christians are guilty of. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Take a <laughs> walk with that right there. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> Pastor Ted, so... No. Another, another example, Proverbs 4, 6. You know, um, be anxious for Nothing. But in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what? The God of all peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so a lot of times, just show of hands, true confession time. How many of you are anxious about something this morning? Just participation here, right? Okay, thank you for being honest. It's not just me. We all have anxieties. The Bible says, hey, don't be anxious about nothing. But in everything, prayer, supplication, right? And then it adds with thanksgiving. And what's thanksgiving do? We've talked about this before. Reminds you of your past wilderness experiences and the past victories that God has brought into your life. God, I'm thankful for this. Oh yeah, that, that reminds me, you're faithful. God, I'm thankful for this. Oh, you're faithful. You know what? Just like David said earlier, God, it's just like the lion or the bear. This is this, 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 this giant that I'm facing today, it's, it's gonna be just like that. You're gonna be faithful. You're gonna show up. Hey, listen, God's word is proven. God's our refuge and our strength, a very help in time of trouble. And that illustrates, listen, God, he says, he's a shield to all who trust him. He's my protector. He is that shield to all who trust in him. Listen, have you discovered that today? God's a shield. He he, he will protect. I remember a time years ago, I don't have time to get into this story, but I went through a time where, where I was being attacked by someone, not physically, but in the ministry. My reputation was being assailed, and, and everything in me wanted to fight, wanted to defend myself, and the Lord said, "Zip it. Just you just trust me." And I watched God work and my mouth just agape. I'm like, "Lord, I, you just covered me in ways that I couldn't have even engineered myself. You're so faithful. you're so good." And so David says, "Listen, you know what? God's way is perfect, His word is proven. And you know what, God? You're a shield to all. Who trusts in you? Well, he continues in verse 32. He says, for who is God except the Lord? I could preach a message on that one verse. Who is God except the Lord? Listen, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Who is God except the Lord? He's sovereign. He's in control. And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and Power and he makes my way perfect. And that phrase, he makes again, it's another Hifel verb stem, which means it's his job and it's his work, has nothing to do with you or me. He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. Isaiah 40 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He says, verse 35, He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Second Corinthians chapter 10 tells us the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. God, He, 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 he teaches our hands to, to make war, to fight, Listen, it's not against flesh and blood. it's against principalities, against powers. David says, "You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your, great, your gentleness has made me great. Romans 8 tells us, listen, that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus." This is David saying, "Look, you, you're the, you've given me the shield of your salvation. I'm more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 54, "No weapon formed against you shall prosper." David's just praising God, God, you're good, you're great, you're powerful, and you take care of me. And it's just... Blowing forth. He says, you enlarge my path under me so my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed and I've destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They've fallen under my feet for you have armed me with strength for battle. You've subdued under me those who rose against me. See, it comes across as David is being like, I just, I blew them away. I I, 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 I killed all my enemies. I destroyed all my enemies. And he's gonna continue on that way, just talking about that. It. But it's not him praising himself. It's not him tooting his own horn. What he's saying, he's already established. God, you did this. It's, it's blowing my mind, God, what it is that you're doing in my life. Listen, God desires to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all you can ask or think. And God will do that. In your life, and this is what david is praying he 's just saying god you 're so good he says, "For you have armed me with strength for the battle you 've subdued under uh, under me those who rose against me verse forty one you have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. they looked, but there was none." To save. This is the strongest Hebrew word, that word none, that could be used here. And it means no other. There was nothing that could save them. The Bible says there's no name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved except for that name which is above all names, which is the name of Jesus Christ. He says, They looked. Outside, they're, they're outside of God, they're, there's none to save. And then he says this, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. And what's indicated here is, isn't that, I mean, if, salvation's not too far away from anybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done today. If you cry out and say, God, have mercy on me, forgive me. And going back to the verse that we talked about, who is God except the Lord, if you will surrender to him and say, be my Lord. And that, that the, the attitude there is, I'm the slave, you're the master. That's the idea. And if you'll do that today, he'll save you. And this is contrary to what's going on here. He says, they cried out to the Lord, but there's not that humbleness, there's not that yieldedness in their lives. He says, then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets and I spread them out. And again, the implication is, I did this under the empowering of of God. He says, you have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You've kept me as the head of the nations. The people I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. And listen, David's drawing in into clothes now. He's just pouring his heart out, just saying how good God is, how faithful God is, and how awesome God's been to him. And he says, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It's God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. And therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king. In other words, David's saying, look, I'm king, but he's my king and this king Submits to that king. That's, the, that's kind of the attitude. He's the tower of salvation to his king. I belong to him. And shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Listen, God enlightened David, then he preserved David, and he will do the same for you today. His way is perfect. His word is proven. And he's a watchful protector for all who trust in him. And we draw to a close here. I want to I draw to a close just remembering an account from Mark chapter 9. And, it's, and, it, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a beautiful picture, actually. You've got in Mark chapter 9, this man brings his son to Jesus. And his son is demon-possessed, and the father is desperate. And he, and he says, Jesus, you've got to do something. I mean, I brought, I brought my son to your, you, to your disciples. They couldn't heal him, another message there. Uh, but, but I, you know, it, they, can't, they can't help him. And, and he, he just this demon throws him into a fire, tries to burn him, throws him into the, the water, tries to drown him. I mean, it's just a living hell. And, and, and so the father says this to Jesus. He says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. And again, I don't know, but I wonder maybe some here today, that might be the cry of your heart as you come to Jesus today. Maybe you're at the end of your rope. Maybe, you know, the, the, the path that you've had to go down hasn't been a path of your choosing. And maybe you would say to God today, if, if, God, if you can do anything, help us. Jesus answered him, listen to what he said. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible for him who believes. And I love the man's response. The man says to Jesus Christ, he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's a cry of your heart today. Maybe maybe that would be your prayer today to God. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief.